Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 49 of Crunch Time with the Big Three. I'm your host, Sam Godsey, and with me today is the other two-thirds of that Big Three, Tanner Dislin and Keegan Turnbow. The green jacket has been given out. The NBA playoffs are underway, and Major League Baseball is officially back. We talked about this and so much more on this episode of Crunch Time. We are going to do something a little different to start off the episode today. I'm sure you've all heard of the tragic passing of former Ohio State and Steelers quarterback Dwayne Haskins this past weekend at the young age of 24. Keegan, I know you have some thoughts on this, so the floor is yours. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Simply put, this passing felt different. Uh, Ever since we've been starting this podcast, there there have been some deaths in sport and in the greater world uh, that have certainly been big ones. But simply put, because of how sudden his passing was and the fact that Dwayne Haskins was 24 years old. And then in addition to that, the way that social media reacted to his death, for those reasons, I thought it was really important for us to take a moment here to just kind of talk about it a little bit. Uh, I, I have some thoughts I want to go through. And starting just what happened on Saturday, April 9th, Dwayne Haskins was hit by a dump truck as he tried to walk across a highway in Florida. Uh, just the day prior, he was recording a video with his teammate, Steelers running back Najee Harris. They're just hanging out, having fun, being young 20 year olds. Uh, within 24 hours of that video, 24 year old Dwayne Haskins was dead. At this point in our lives, Tanner, Sam, and I were 22, 23. There's still so much of our lives ahead of us. Sam, you're in grad school. Tanner and I, we're both in the first year of our first real jobs. Haskins was just a year older than us. His story was not written yet. He had so much more to do, just like us. Uh, All of us, I'm sure we've all lost somebody close to us at some point in time. Uh, typically for our age, it's like a grandparent, maybe even a parent if you're in a really tough situation. Easter is just this weekend. A lot of us are going to go see those people, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings, cousins, etc. When you see your great grandparents, your grandparents, at a certain point in time, you think, yeah, I'm going to enjoy the amount of time that I have left with these people because I don't know how many more times I'm going to see them. It's a terrible realization to have to come to, but it's a necessary one. When a death happens in the family, it's a time of remembrance for those, for who they were and what they did. And that's why it hurts even more so for someone so young to die so suddenly. Uh, Years ago, I think I was only one or two at the time, Uh, An older cousin of mine, I think he was six, uh, he died in a house fire. A fire broke out in the house and their parents got out with my other cousin, but the six-year-old was still in the house. He wasn't able to get himself out. His parents wanted to go back in to get him, but the firefighters had arrived and they wouldn't let them go back in. That left a deep painful mark on that side of my family and they were never the same the the parents ended up getting a divorce and 
when people die too soon, it can destroy people. Uh, my heart goes out to the family of Dwayne Haskins, Dwayne Haskins' parents. A mom and dad should never have to bury their son, but this week that had to happen. That's why some of the reactions we saw on social media were so wrong. Football players, basketball, baseball players, athletes, they aren't just figurines. They aren't just emotionless, lifeless bodies that we watch every Sunday, Saturday, every night. But when we cover sports, when we watch sports, some people forget that it's not just a story you get to watch, a story you get to cover, Adam Schefter. We need to stop dehumanizing athletes. To those that don't know, when Schefter broke the news, his tweet read at the beginning as this. It read, Dwayne Haskins, a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh and the NFL. The least we can do for people who entertain us on a nightly, weekly basis is to take a moment and think before you say something. Think about what you actually write, how that impacts the people around you, and actually be sensitive to a person's death. Schefter apologized, but it took two days afterwards on a podcast. Thanks for saying sorry, Schefter, but what took so long? And not to mention, you turned someone's death, something that you reacted to so poorly, your apology for it, you turned that into an advertisement for your podcast. We need to rehumanize the athlete, consider their mental health, Consider them as just not a means of entertainment, but as a person. Dwayne Haskins will go down as an all-time quarterback at Ohio State, setting records for the most single-season passing yards and touchdown passes in 2018. He led Ohio State to a 13-1 and record and was a Rose Bowl MVP. Haskins only had three seasons in the NFL to make his mark. And who's to say that he wouldn't have? A guy as successful as Drew Brees never started a full season until his fourth year in the NFL, and Haskins only had three. But most importantly, though, Dwayne Haskins will go down as a person, a husband, a son, a friend to many. His story will be left unfinished, but hopefully this past week can be a reminder to love those closest around you. That's what this past week, that's what his death should be in remembrance of. Love those around you and be sensitive to others' stories and how you talk about them because the words you say, the actions you take are lasting. Adam Schefter apologized, and but that needs to be a lesson moving forward. But more than anything... We need to remember Dwayne Haskins as a person, just like we need to remember that for everybody moving forward, this needs to be a reminder, not a habit, not a tradition, not any of that, but a reminder. People are people, and so we should treat as such. We'll be back after this quick ad break to talk about some of those things that Sam mentioned in the intro. But before that quick ad break, we're going to take a moment of silence 
in remembrance of Dwayne Haskins. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome back from that quick ad. We're going to do a little pick me up. Um, let's uh, go on the diamond with Dislin with uh, opening weekend coming out. Tanner, what were some of the major storylines from opening weekend? I tell you what, Sam, we did not disappoint in this opening weekend of the baseball season. I think first off, what's on a lot of, of baseball players' minds right now and baseball fans' minds is that is the play of Stephen Kwan. For those of you who don't know, he is a rookie for the Cleveland Guardians. I mean, he put his first at-bat in a Major League Baseball game on opening day. He is currently 10 for 19, hitting 526 with a 1.392 OPS. And that's with his game <laughs> today, actually, as we're recording on the 13th. He went 0 for 4, easily his worst game in the, in the big leagues. And that brought his average down to a 526 after an <laughs> four performance. Is that, that is that is how much this dude has been raking since coming into the show. Like I said, an over 1,000 OPS, two doubles, and a triple. So he's bringing the extra base hits as well. This kid has been doing it all. And on, on Wednesday, April 13th, he recorded his first major league strikeout, which included his first major league swing and miss. Came seven games into the Guardians season. Excuse First me? Major League swing what? against Major League pitching came seven games Jeez. into his Major League. How how old is career. this dude? Uh, he is the first swing and a miss in the in six, six games. games. I mean, in his he's twenty four years old. <laughs> this dude is a star in the making. He looks like a natural with the bat, and he is. I mean, his play is showing it right now. So that is story number one. Story number two, I'm going to get into some heated emotions here. The Nationals <laughs> and Mets, of course, led off the season playing each other. They are not too fond of each other. And this series, of course, is headlined. The big fish reeled in in Queens. Max Scherzer are returning to his old team in Washington. But the, the show got stolen by... Nationals pitchers forgetting how to pitch the baseball in the series. They hit five Mets over four games, which <laughs> included three of them in the head area. Uh, that is very unsafe. And as you all can imagine, Mets manager, Buck Showalter, and honestly, a lot of the Mets players were very upset about this lack of control from Washington. And two of the three players, of course, hit in the head or neck area were Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso kind of big pieces for the New York Mets. So tensions kind of boiled over once Francisco Lindor was hit in the uh, C flap. Thank God he was wearing it. Mets avoided two potentially disastrous injuries and they're okay. Both of them played the day after they got hit, but of course benches cleared a little bit. Tensions rose and uh, nationals pitcher, Steve Ciszek, who was the one who hit Francisco Lindor was actually ejected uh, from the skirmish. So yeah, obviously Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, obviously, as you said, you know, Mets and Nationals, like that's that's a rivalry. You know, the, the teams don't like each other, like you said. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the season progresses when that's the first series between those two of the season. And, you know, tensions were 
you know, tensions are rising just in the first few games. So I think that'll be a really interesting series between those two to keep an eye on, not only because you're a Mets fan, but I mean, who doesn't like benches clearing? So I think we'll have the opportunity for that sometime later this season. I love that. Um, I, you know, I'm one who happens to enjoy the benches, the benches clearing. Of course, I wish it didn't have to take someone, you know, maybe we can hit him in the back next time and not, <laughs> not the head, but, but I am a, you know, some tensions never hurt nobody, of course. And then lastly, a uh, rather recent topic came from the Dodgers game today where Clayton Kershaw had thrown seven perfect innings in his outing and was then pulled by manager Dave Roberts after only 80 pitches. And of course, there is a, a lot of debate over this, of course, um, the, the, the unwritten rules in baseball, how when someone has a perfect game, you don't pull them, you don't talk about it versus the mindset of, you know, you're in it for the long haul. You had a lockout, you had a short spring. Pitchers haven't had time to ramp up. And that's one thing that spring training, I mean, spring training is used for a lot of things, but it's particularly helpful to pitchers because they need to stretch out their arm. They need to get in game-like scenarios get throwing 99 in high pressure situations to, of course, stretch out that arm and be at a point where you can go six, seven, hundred plus uh, pitches. And Dave Roberts felt Kershaw was not at that point yet and therefore took him out to not get him injured and, of course, play for the long haul because the Dodgers do have World Series aspirations. Um, a fierce debate there, and I'm, uh, <laughs> it is kind of consuming the baseball world at the moment. Yeah, uh, obviously it is such a big topic. I've seen it all over Twitter. People arguing. What? What are y'all's got your guys's thoughts on him getting pulled? Was it the right move? Was it? Do you just let him go? Because I mean, there's only been 23 perfect games in the history of MLB, and MLB has been around for about 220,000 games. <laughs> so, what? What's y'all's thoughts? I thought you were going to say years there, but because um, it, it feels like that sometimes. But I mean, you said, you, I feel like the argument is just right there. That many games, only 23 perfect games. Clayton Kershaw is one of the best regular season pitchers that baseball has seen in a long time. And for him to potentially join and be the 24th person to do it, being six outs away from doing so you don't let them even take the chance. I get analytics. It, what I don't understand about it though, is you see it in, you see it in baseball, but you also see it in the NFL and other sports as well, where there are certain people that take analytics and analytics is the entire toolbox, so to speak, instead of just being a tool in the toolbox. I don't get how you keep a player doing from something historic when they had thrown 80 Kershaw had thrown 80 pitches up to that point. That's a lot. But when you have two more innings to go six outs, you're looking at a hundred pitches. That's something that Kershaw has certainly done in the past. It's not an ungodly number of pitches. Obviously, you know, they're making the big bucks for a reason, but 
how do you not let him try and be a part of that hollowed few? Yeah, um, that's certainly fair. And I, and I think I, I agree with you. I think for a little bit of a different reason. I mean, if you came up and told me that with everything going on in spring training, the lockout, the shortened spring, pitchers are needing to get ramped up, and you told me that Clayton Kershaw was perfect through seven and got pulled, I would have understood. I probably would have thought it was the right move. Just that fact and alone. It's the fact that he was at 80 pitches when he did so. As you said, Keegan, he had certainly had more room to push it. And who says that you need to leave him in the entire way? Maybe he struggles a little bit in the eighth and gets up to 90 pitches. Then you can go ahead and pull the plug on it. But to not even give him a chance, like you said, to go out in the eighth, because maybe he throws five pitches in the eighth, mows him down in order, and he's looking pretty good to come back in the ninth and try and get that perfect game. So... I, I, I don't know. It seems to me like, seems to me like he, he was, he, he, he overmanaged, like you said, using the analytics to overmanage, but, but the 80 pitches is what I can't get over because I mean, it's not like he either had to get pulled right there or finish the game. He could, he could always gotten pulled in 10 or 15 more pitches, regardless of where we were in the game. So th- that's what bothers me. Um, but like I said, the fact that he got pulled after seven doesn't bother me. It's the 80 pitches. That does. Yeah. It's, it's weird because at the end of the day, uh, after the game, Kershaw said that he agreed with the decision. And yeah. I, I, I go back and forth on whether he really thinks that or whether like that's just the right thing to say. Uh, but because Kershaw doesn't seem to be one to try and make a splash you know, to, you know, rock the boat, so to speak, but yeah. Yeah, definitely a wild situation there. Next, we're going to hop into who's been hot and who's not. Tanner, take it away. Yes, we'll start. We'll start with the bat on the offensive side of things. We, of course, chicks dig the long ball. Who has been hot? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Tonight, uh, again, on Wednesday, playing the Yankees, going against Garrett Cole. He put in a four-for-four night with three home runs and a double, putting him to a league-leading four home runs on the year, pushing his average up to 391 and his OPS over 1,000. Probably about as good good of a game as you can have for Vladdy Jr. So he has been hot. Who's not the reigning AL MVP? has been struggling with the stick so far this year, Shohei Otani. Of course, nobody expected him to continue the numbers he put up last year because that's kind of ridiculous. But starting the season, hitting 160, only four hits thus far, four for 24 from the plate and only one extra base hit, recording a lowly double, hasn't gone yard yet. It's it's a slow start for Shohei Otani, which – is a little bit unexpected given his performance yeah. in 2021. Yeah, something that happened with Shohei Itani that I think just makes me like him even better because we all expect that he is going to, you know, get out of this drought, that he's going to find his groove again. But there's one game because of his batting struggles. He took his baseball bat and he was giving it CPR, you know, when he was in the dugout and he's trying to get it back to life. And we'll see if it worked or not, but. It hasn't seemed to be working so far. Maybe a little more CPR is needed. Probably a little bit more. Maybe he'll take a page out of uh, 
uh, Yasiel Puig's book and start licking his bat. Um, <laughs> but we're going to switch and go over to the bump. Who's been hot? None other than Tyler McGill. Now, I'm curious. Do you guys know who Tyler McGill is and what his story and why he's even in the rotation this year? <laughs> There's no chance that's a real name. Tyler so McGill. But I will only accept Sylor McGill from now on because he is bound to win the Cy Young. <laughs> this guy replaced none other than Jacob DeGrom in the New York Mets starting rotation. I mean, talk about shoes to fill. And all he does is come out, pitch 10 and a third over two games, win both of those games, strike out 11 in those games, give up only six hits and zero earned. The dude has been shoving in place of Jacob DeGrom. Last year was his rookie campaign in New York. A very promising one at that, but not one that turned the tables at all. And with the Mets making certain rotation upgrades, unfortunately, Tyler McGill got the boot out of the rotation only to get thrusted right back in with the injury to Jacob DeGrom. And he has come out shoving the baseball 99 plus miles an hour on his fastball, looking damn good. So Tyler McGill is my pitcher who's hot and who's not. We are going to go north of the border again with Jose Barrios. Jose Barrios was a starter for the Minnesota Twins, one of the key deadline acquisitions for Toronto last, uh, last summer, coming in with a second to his second year in Toronto. I mean, an American League hopeful with the upgrades they made in the offseason. And he starts opening day for Toronto, goes one-third of an inning, gives up four earned, and gets, gets the early hook. He looked absolutely terrible. He pitched today's game, the game where Vladdy Jr. had three home runs against the Yankees. I mean, he had a better performance. Uh, he went five innings and three earned, which obviously is better. But that lowered his ERA down to an 11.81 with that performance. So all in all, He's only gone five and a third through two starts, given up seven earned with that 11.81 ERA. If Toronto is going to go deep in the American League, like a lot of people think they think that they will, they're going to need that starting pitching led by Jose Barrios. That will wrap it up for On the Diamond with Dislin. We will be returning as the MLB season is in full swing. Now, we're going to introduce a new segment, very similar to On the Diamond with Dizzlin. We're going to go On the Green with Godsey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so last weekend, if you didn't know, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but last weekend was the biggest golf tournament of the year, the Masters. And there were quite a bit of storylines uh, surrounding this one. Obviously, first one comes to mind, Tiger Woods uh, making mm -hmm. his return to the green. The GOAT uh, returned after possibly losing his right leg 13 months earlier after a scary, Crazy. scary car crash. And he performed pretty well for uh, what happened 13 months earlier. Yeah. He actually made the first cut and shot only one under on Thursday. He finished with a pair of 78s in the weekend. Not what we typically see from Tiger Woods, but just his comeback story to finally yeah. see him. Yeah, he his, sucks. 
Damn it, Tiger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's crazy because after all of that, that, like you said, he was one under on day one. He was in the top 10 on day one after everything that happened 13 months ago, like you said. Yeah, it, it was good seeing uh, Tiger back out on the green. Uh, everyone loves a good comeback story, and Tiger Woods definitely added his name to that book. Another headline was Rory McIlroy having an incredible run, carding eight under 64, which tied the lowest final round in Masters history. He just came up short in the final round. He would if he did bring home that green jacket, he would have won the Grand Slam by winning that green jacket. For those of you who don't know what the Grand Slam is, it's winning the Masters, the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, and the PGA Championship. So he has done three of those and missed out on probably the most important one, and that is that green jacket. Jeez, he sucks too. He can get it done <laughs> now. Someone who doesn't suck, 25-year-old Scotty Sheffer walking away as a proud new owner of that famous green jacket and $2.7 million richer with a final score of 10 under par, even though he had a four-putt on the yeah. team green. <laughs> so kind of an anticlimactic, uh, exciting way, uh-huh. but... He shot. He was dominant all weekend. He shot under f- par f- all four days of the tournament. Carded twenty one birdies. He's the first Ace. player to win four times in PGA Tour season by the end of the Masters since David Duval managed to do the same in nineteen ninety nine. So, just a quick update. I felt it was important. I mean. The Masters, how can you not talk about it? But congrats to Scotty Sheffer walking away with that uh, yeah. jacket. Yeah, I was going to say, man, it's – it's. I mean, it, let's not jump to conclusions. He might suck. He four-putted the last <laughs> hole. I mean, come on. It's wild that he still won by, what, three putts? Yeah. You know, three points. Three and... strokes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a – four putts not a bad weekend to be scotty shuffler huh yeah no kidding so you can't talk about the masters and not talk about another goat hello friends big time timmy jim (laughs) the masters on cbs on cbs that yep the funneled in bird noises and (laughs) (laughs) yeah trying to make it seem like this this like freaking paradise uh-huh. Uh-huh. and augusta it's nirvana augusta georgia gotta love it mm. but speaking of famous announcers we got one in the nba playoffs mike breen let's oh, talk yeah. about nba ah, playoffs bang. nba <laughs> playoffs are underway the playing games have started let's do a little recap here shall yes, we let's uh, let's do it i like it <laughs> so so keegan what's your uh playoff predictions uh look like before the season started yeah so what it looked like before the season started i'll start with the east because i like how i started in the east because i predicted that the miami heat would be the one seed and they are so that's good 
And uh, that's all I had. So I think <laughs> it's over. <laughs> uh, I, I have the Bucks as the two seed. They're the three. It's not too far off. Uh, I have the I have the Nets as the three seed. I have a feeling that will be a pattern for us, though. Uh, I have the Chicago Bulls at the four, the 76ers at the five, the New York Knicks at yeah. the six. Yikes. I have the Charlotte Hornets at the seven and the Atlanta Hawks at the eight. Uh, so that was my East. Uh, do we just want to do the East first or yeah. just do yep. anything? Yeah, let's do let's that. Do. Yeah. So that was, that was my East. And so, yeah, got Miami right. And uh, that was the only one I got right. <laughs> exactly. I was close on a few and well, we all missed on a few. I yeah, imagine. Close don't count. Close <laughs> Only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, as we know. So, <laughs> as we know, I'll take that and run into my playoff prediction in the East. Um, I did not get the heat. I went with Brooklyn to take the number one overall seed. Um, Whoops! Oops! James Harden decided to break out the fat suit again and force his way out of <laughs> out of Brooklyn and uh-huh. uh, tanked in that season a little bit. But... And they got back someone who hasn't played a game. Yeah, well, yeah. So <laughs> what a weird scenario in Brooklyn. <laughs> anyway, I had them at one. That did not happen. Number two, I had Milwaukee, same as Keegan, and he covered that already. Number three, I had Philly, who I believe ended at four. Um, so, again, kind of one off there. Um, at four, I had Miami. They obviously ended at one. Five, Chicago. I think you also had Chicago at five, Keegan. Um, or you might have had them at four. I think they finished at six so one off there six i also had the new york knicks um gigantic swing and a miss that is all i'll be saying about the new york knicks right now <laughs> uh, number seven i actually had atlanta uh which they have a game on friday to go ahead and try and lock up that eight overall seats so that potentially isn't too far off and at number eight I had the Washington Wizards again, another swing and a miss. So, uh, not great. Yeah. Notice who isn't in there the Boston Celtics. Yeah. And I also did not have the Boston Celtics. (laughs) Three of us. (laughs) Oh, no. None of us had the two seed. Uh Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I'll hop into mine here. At one, I had the Nets. I don't need to go yeah. further than that. Um, two, I had the Bucks. They were three, so not too terrible. Three, I had the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, so far, we're four. on the same page here, Sam. And then four, I had the Heat. I think uh, you also had that, Tanner. Yep, then yep. five is when it just kind of went AWOL. I had the Knicks for some, some reason there. <laughs> Um, then at uh six, I had the Bulls who ended up nailed that one seed. So, mm-hmm. sniper gang Kodak, know what I'm saying. And then number seven, I had the Hornets who got obliterated in their playing games. So, that was a swing and a miss. And number eight could potentially be right if Trigger Trey takes over and uh get snags the eight seed. So, I have them coming in at the eight seed. So not not great look for no. any of us, no. Particularly, no. so so let's hop to the other coast. Uh, let's go west. The eight seed, obviously, still up in the air. 
But one seed, we have the Phoenix Suns. Number two, we have the Memphis Grizzlies, who's kind of shocked everyone with how good they were this season. Number three, we have the Golden State Warriors, of course. Number four, we have the Mavericks. Number five, we have the Utah Jazz. Number six, we have the Denver Nuggets with Jokic. And then number seven, we have Minnesota. So that is what the West is uh, looking like as of now. Keegan, what were your predictions and how wrong were they? They were pretty wrong in some places more than others. Uh, I don't think I got a single one correct exactly, but I was close on a few. Uh, At one, I was not close. I had the Utah Jazz. At two, I had the Golden State Warriors, so close there. At three, I had the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, We'll talk about more in depth later. Don't you worry. We'll clown on them later. Uh, At four, I had the Denver Nuggets. At five, I have the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Six, the Dallas Mavericks. Seven, my Los Angeles Clippers, who were so close but yet so far. And then at number eight, I had the Portland Trailblazers who are a bottom five team in the NBA. So that was a tough eight seed. Someone who I didn't even have in the playoffs, the Memphis Grizzlies. So I don't have the two seed in either conference in the playoffs. Brutal. Taylor, what you got? Oh boy. All right. Let's hop into it. Number one, I had Golden State. They ended at three. Could be better. Could be worse. Could be the Jazz, which I have at number two. So not much better. (laughs) I had Utah coming in at number two. Uh, Number three, with Keegan, I also had the Los Angeles Lakers at number three. I mean, gigantic swing and a miss. Number four, I had Phoenix, another swing and a miss NBA's best regular season team this year. Uh, number five, I had Denver. That one's not bad. Number six, I had Dallas. Again, not bad. Number seven, I also had Keegan's Los Angeles Clippers, who didn't come through last night against Minnesota. And then number eight, Keegan. I also had Portland, <laughs> which to be fair to us, we yeah, couldn't yeah. have predicted Damian Lillard's injury. That's true. But if you notice in my list, the first two people each missed the number two seed in each conference. <laughs> I did not have Memphis in the playoffs. I did have them in the play-in, yeah. uh, as I'm sure you did too. I sure did. But, um missing out on the playoffs and they got the number two so <laughs> not good not good at all Mm-mm. yeah yeah definitely uh my mine isn't uh pretty either i've won at golden state uh two um we're just gonna skip that one. <laughs> oh, I, what what's that number i two put seven? the lakers oh no um, who, who struggled a little bit, you could say. Three, I had the Denver Nuggets. Four, I had the Suns. Five, I had the Mavericks. So not too terrible there. Six, I had the Jazz, and I firmly remember y'all clowning me for putting them at the sixth seed. I'll eat that. I'll eat that. <laughs> yeah. I'll eat that. And then yeah. I will. 
I put the Memphis Grizzlies at the seventh seed. <laughs> there we go. Oh, yeah. there you go. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. <laughs> and then I rounded it out with the Portland Trailblazers slotting it at the eighth seed. So not – we did really bad. Let, let's yeah. be honest. Uh, we missed Boston. We missed Memphis. Uh, that, that was tough. Um, but playoffs are here. Finally. It's about time. What are some of the matchups you are looking forward to most? Let's start out in the Eastern Conference. I mean, the matchup that I'm really looking forward to the most has got to be a rematch between Boston and then the Nets. I mean, the Celtics and the Nets. That was a series we we watched last year. And Jason Tatum was routinely dropping 50 points. He did that. He did that or got close to that several times in that series, but this is a much improved Boston team. And this is a Brooklyn team that's taken a step back at least in, you know, in terms of regular season success. So the fact that these two teams are meeting up again, I can only imagine that this one, we're going to have some fantastic performances from KD Tatum's going to show up, you know, Ramadan Kyrie is going to get in there. We'll see what happens there, but that's going to be a great series. Yeah, I think nobody can argue that. That's going to be a f- amazing series. I'm sure it's going to go down to seven. But, Tanner, what series are you looking at? I should have spoken up first because, I mean, looking at the rest of them, they just don't do it, right? Uh, may, uh, the winner of Atlanta and Cleveland in the playing game gets to play Miami. That's not yeah. doing it for me. I mean, I guess Philly-Toronto is would be second. Milwaukee, Chicago. Chicago's been a team who hasn't really been able to beat anybody in the top six of the conference. So it goes right to Boston, Brooklyn. Like you said, a rematch. You have Boston playing really well right now. Brooklyn not, but also having the best player on the floor. This has everything you would want in a playoff series, and you get it in the first round. I I have to, as much as it pains me, I have to agree. Boston and Brooklyn is the must-see matchup in the East, and Kyrie is starving for a win. <laughs> so how about that? I love it. Sam, who That's do you have? Good. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that is the one I've circled, but I think uh, Milwaukee, Chicago could be sneaky good. Um, honestly, the playing games were uh, entertaining to watch. Yeah. Um, I really like the Brooklyn-Cleveland game. I think yeah. I honestly yesterday's think yesterday's games. Yeah, yeah. Minnesota and Los Angeles, really good game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was hoping the Hornets would not get blown out tonight. But <laughs> Dude, I was I was I was Bud City's number one fan tonight, and that did not work out <laughs> well. So that that was tough. But yeah, I mean, how can you not pick Jason Tatum versus KD? Um, that's gonna be the matchup to watch maybe throughout the uh, entire playoffs, but definitely Boston, Brooklyn switching over the other side. What are some of the matchups you're looking at? I'm going first this time, damn you, Keegan. And I am go looking right at Dallas, Utah. Of course, this, this, this one for me is the must watch in the West. I mean, obviously it's the four or five. It's the two most evenly matched teams in the conference, of, according to regular season record. But the star power, I mean, Donovan Mitchell versus Luka Doncic, it should just be a really damn good 
series. Uh, three games separate the records between the two. Um, I, I'm really excited. I, I, I really – this is going to be the one. It seems like it's destined for seven in the West. So I got Dallas and Utah as my must-watch in the West. That, that series should be really good if both teams are healthy. And unfortunately, we don't know if that's going to be the case or not. Just coming out today – uh, Dallas Mavericks star Luka Doncic has been diagnosed with a left calf strain after going under an MRI Monday afternoon. Uh, his status for game one of the series is doubtful. He hasn't been ruled out altogether, so he'll probably play through it. But if Doncic is on the floor, it doesn't matter. We're going to have a great series here as long as he's on the floor. Uh, the series that I'm looking forward to, I'm in addition to that one, I really can't wait to see the Grizzlies Timberwolves matchup. We're gonna get we're gonna get at least four games of Patrick Beverly on John Morant. But when you break it down, you're getting two very athletic, aggressive teams here. The Timberwolves showed that last night against the Clippers. This team is a gritty, tough team. And when you have Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, and then Carl Anthony Towns, you have three guys there that any given night can go for 35, 40. And then you also have some, you have a guy like Patrick Beverly who can get under anyone's skin at any given moment. And then you got John Morant. And then you got Desmond Bain. And you got some great rebounders there. Uh, do they, I know they have Steven Adams still. Did they trade away Jonas Valanciunas or is he still on the roster? Yeah, because they swore Steven Adams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like Steven Adams was a great pickup for that team. But Grizzlies, Timberwolves, I think the Grizzlies probably take it, but the Timberwolves are going to, are going to give them a run for their money. Yeah, I mean, those two series are going to be must-watch. I mean, we're watching the best basketball out there. I'm going to go a little different route. I want to see this three versus six matchup, the Warriors versus the Nuggets. I just want to see these superstars, Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic, go at each other's throats for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. I think that is going to be a must-watch. I mean, yeah, I think I, I think in this uh, West, it's very yeah. different from the East. I think all of these uh, – Matchups are going to be must watch, but definitely uh, Golden State versus Denver is one I got circled. Yeah, man, Jokic is going to have back problems coming up. Just the (laughs) entire team all year long. See if he can keep it up when it matters most. Yeah, and the thing is, is you know this isn't a series that we're talking about because it's not something that's official yet. But we might have a rematch of the Western Conference Finals from last year. If the Clippers beat whoever wins between the Pelicans and the Spurs, the Western Conference Finals we had last year that went six and almost went seven, we might have that in the first round. So we each of us as the one eight. As the one eight, the Clippers could be one of the scariest eight seeds that the NBA has seen in quite some time. And uh, it the it's a shame that the East has been going through some injury problems because I mean, like if the Bulls were healthy, if the Cavs were healthy, 
Like these are some teams that could really make some noise in the East as the lower seeds, but you know, or I guess the higher seeds, but anyways, you guys know what I mean, but the, the West loaded. Yeah, definitely. Um, the West, I think it's not even particularly close. I, I mean, you mentioned the Clippers being an eight seed just solidifies the argument there. Um, but obviously, we're looking at all these matchups. I want to know who y'all got coming out of the East and the West and who y'all have winning it all this year. I'll go ahead and take this one. Um, out of the East, this is going to be uh, a little bit boring as I have a lot of – a little bit of chalk. However, coming, who do I have coming out of the East? I am going with Philadelphia. I think Ooh. James Harden and Joel Embiid will be the most unstoppable duo in the Eastern Conference. Yes, more so than Kyrie and KD. And that will bring Philly into the finals, facing the best team in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns. The team will waltz their way into the the finals. You heard that right. They will waltz their way because they are loads better than the rest of the field, as they showed by winning 64 games in the regular season. And the Phoenix Suns will defeat the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA finals. And Devin Booker will not only be an NBA champion, but a finals MVP. Wow. Wow. When, when you say waltz, are we talking like, what do you mean by waltz? Like, are we talking like they're not going to seven in any series? Majority of them are going five or lower. Like what, like, what do you mean by waltz? Um, may, you know, maybe one will go seven. Yeah. I'm thinking there's, they'll, they'll sit at six, six or lower for a majority of the postseason. That's hot. That's a hot take. They've wow. Beaten, uh, they've been there before and they've beaten everybody in the field. I know it was in the regular season, but you know, the team shows up in the postseason from last year. They've been there before and they've handled everybody thus far wow the team that you have winning it all i don't have coming out of their conference Uh, i have the golden state warriors coming out of the west someone who has been struggling to his own standards this regular season has been that of steph curry he had a great start to the year and quickly tailed off if this guy catches fire Something that Curry still needs to his legacy is a championship run where he's carrying the team. That's something that he's looking for. It's something that's MVP. Exactly. It's something that's evaded him as of yet. And who will be standing in their way in the finals will be that of the reigning defending champion, Milwaukee Bucks, led by the best player in all of basketball in Giannis Antetokounmpo. I have the Milwaukee Bucks winning back-to-back. I know it's a little chalky, a three-seed over a three-seed. It's not so chalky when you look at the seeds. But the defending champs, the Bucks, they've looked good throughout the regular season, but they haven't looked up to their own standards. 
And I think they do that here in the playoffs. I think Giannis goes off like we saw him do back-to-back occasions, getting a block to seal the game against the 76ers on Joel Embiid while scoring 41 points. And then just later that same week, beating the Nets while scoring 41 points, making some big stops on Kevin Durant. Giannis gets back-to-back finals MVPs. Going back to back. Going back wow. to back. I like that Eastern pick. I, I also have the same. I got the Bucks. Giannis, you you mentioned it. One of the best players. One, one of one of, the, one best. of the best. Are, are players. you are, are you still staying with? I'm standing the by my statement, bro. And it's oh. because I won the judgment segment. So I, yeah, my, I stand by, I stand by my judgment at the time too. At the time, um, I, I think Giannis right now has launched himself in front of KD by the slightest of margins. However, my ruling on the judgment back when we had it, I stand by it. I think KD was better. That I was the better player than Giannis at that point. But, but you think Giannis has eclipsed him since then? Yes. Okay, I can live with that. I can live with that. Sam, you had the Bucks out of the East, the West. I'm going with the grit and grind Grizzlies. Oh, uh, let's go. I, I like I like what they've been doing. They've shown they don't really need John to win. And no. I think that takes uh quite a load off of uh John Morant's shoulders. He doesn't have to go out and score 30 plus a night in order for this team to win. They're young. They got – they're hyped up. They're ready. I, I got the Grizzlies going to the finals, winning the finals, and John wow. Morant taking home the finals MVP. You heard it here first. Let's go, baby. Wow. Sticks with his Grizz. I love it. I love it. That would be crazy if that ended up happening because, I mean, it's been such a long time since we've had a team so young do that. And I mean, like, regardless of whether they win, you know, the NBA championship this year or not, whether they come out of the West or not, people are finally going to really know these other guys. Not the regular season. Oh, John Morant, John Morant, Tanner, you're of that opinion more than anyone. I know. You can't miss John Morant. (laughs) God, if you miss John Morant, you live under a rock. Anyway. Yeah. But I mean, people are going to really know about how good, Dylan Brooks is how good Desmond Bain is how good some of these guys are because those other guys Jaron Jackson Jr. I mentioned Stephen Adams earlier people are going to learn how great the Grizzlies are and I don't hate that pick it's just it almost feels like a year or two too soon but I love it hey that's why everybody's thought the entire season so definitely a couple years early but I don't think anybody's why, complaining. Why Why not now? Why not? Yeah. Um, so I have a question for y'all. Um, so obviously we just got out March Madness. Way different. Just one game, one win. Do you think having seven game series takes away from the hype around Ooh. these uh, playoff games? Keegan, I'll let you. I'll let you uh, noodle on that because I definitely have an answer on this. Yeah. Um, absolutely. There is no reason 
the first round should be seven games. Sure, every once in a while you get this Boston-Brooklyn series. That'll be good. That'll be – oh, well, that'll be great. But when you have four separate rounds and you have alternating two or three days worth of basketball and they are seven games each, that is way too long. I mean, there's always a point in the NBA playoffs where like in that second round area where the allure of, oh, it's the playoffs has worn off and we're not to the conference finals yet. And the interest is just in the gutter. I mean, I... That could just be a me personal thing, but it is too long. It takes away from that, from the excitement because there's, it seems like there's, of course, unless there's a game seven, there's always a tomorrow when they are these seven game series. So I personally think absolutely the first two series need to be shortened to, to, to increase the stakes a little bit. Yeah. So so you say they need to be short. What what uh what length would be suitable for your liking? I I don't think you can go lower than five. I don't yeah. think you can. Uh, lower than five is is opens it up to be a little bit fugues. Like uh, kind of what we love in March Madness doesn't really apply into the NBA. It, it needs to be yeah. at least five. So I'm thinking five for the first two, seven for the for the latter. Wow, I say that's a hot take. I I don't disagree with where you're coming from because uh i i viewed the second round differently because as a clippers fan oftentimes the clippers do make it past the first round but until this last year the clippers have never made it to the third round so i'm always very tuned into the second round because that's typically the end of my season so uh not very fond of the second round but very much tuned in uh I think it would be okay to go like I could be persuaded to go to five in the first round, but I feel like moving it to five in the second round. I mean, that's when we're getting one, four matchups two, three matchups. You know, that's when we would get the bucks in the nets, the bucks in the Celtics. That's when we would get the Grizzlies and the warriors. Are you wanting to take two games potentially away from Giannis versus KD from, you know, Curry versus, you know, Morant. You want to take two games Yes, away from because that? then it's going to be Giannis versus Giannis versus Embiid. Then it's going to be Giannis versus Jimmy Butler. There's just so many levels to it. We need to tone it down. It just what? takes away. Are you saying you'd rather have Giannis versus Jimmy Butler for two more games? Than Giannis versus KD for two games. Okay, okay, okay. This is a unique scenario because Brooklyn had an incredibly weird season that put them down to seven. Like, mm-hmm. this is not a normal playoff bracket where you have a, a championship favorite as the seventh seed. So let, yeah. let's not act like this is normal. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, yes, you know, the, the standard method of thinking is that the games are good, so you want more, right? But it's, it, Look at it economically. The more supply, the lower the demand, the lower the price, the lower the value of each one. And from an entertainment value, it makes it worse when you have so many of them so often and so early. I think that's why you move the first round to five. I don't think you move the second round to five because you said, you know, you went on to say Giannis versus Embiid, Giannis versus Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler and Embiid are probably facing 
in their own series in you know in the second round well, like I, these I are, these I are wasn't all saying t- that those matchups are better than the other one i'm saying there's always another matchup when you're this deep into the playoffs like mm-hmm. you're talking about these matchups that you you don't want to cut it short but you're just forgetting to, that there's two more superstar matchups coming in, in coming series. So it's not like you're just completely cutting it short with nothing to show for. I mean, there's two more seven game series against superstars coming. I just can't wrap my head around like wanting less great basketball because like, that's what I'm saying. Because that's, that, that's what that would be doing to the second round. At the first round, I can get behind that majority of series is in the first round. They go five, they go six. Sometimes if you have that five, four, five matchup, sometimes that will go seven. But I mean, majority of the time, if you're cutting that second round matchup, you're cutting away all time, great basketball that we've seen. Cause like take uh, the, the Toronto Raptors and the Philadelphia 76ers, Kawhi Leonard hitting that shot that hit the rim five times on the way down. That's in the second round. That's not the conference finals. That's in the second round. And so that shot doesn't happen that we're, we're removing all time. Great moments. If we're cutting those games back. And so I think, I think moving to five games in the first round, I wouldn't do it. The owners certainly aren't doing it because that's losing money. That's losing revenue because any loss of interest that you have in the second round, that's not worth losing two full games potentially earlier on, but I wouldn't do it. I could be persuaded to do it in the first round, but in the second round, I mean, we're just, we're, we're getting less great basketball and that's, that's just not something that anyone I think should want to lose, but I mean, apparently you're, I mean, you're, you're asking for it, I guess. All right. We're going to go there. So we load a less quantity, less quantity makes it more valuable, making it more valuable makes it greater sports does just doesn't work this in this binary world. Like you're suggesting, like, like where, where Toronto and Philly, we, yes, sure. We don't get that exact moment, but game five does not play out the way game five did in that series. I mean, this is winner or go home for game five. So game five would play a lot like game seven. I'm not coming out here and saying that Kawhi Leonard would hit a shot that rolls around the rim five times, but I'm saying the the intensity of the game would be the same. It's not like we're just losing a game seven. That is not true yeah. whatsoever. You would have gotten the same intensity just two days two. earlier. Yeah. But I, you know, with, with the idea that you could go to less like, shortening the games get you that earlier that better basketball sooner i mean that in my mind that raises the question why not go to anything less than five because Because of what i just said just because like like we we need to make it reasonable this is a line we're walking it's not just we need to lower it so like we we make the value of each game through the roof You, you don't do that i mean this is a line we're trying to walk between raising the stakes of each individual game and not having to win 16 playoff games to win a championship and between b- between between lowering the number the shortening the amount of time lowering the number of games but also recognizing that you play a whole season to get seeding and then to decide that in three games that that just doesn't work yeah like this is a line we're walking it's not like we're just absolute one way or the other because i want to ask you this question 
last offseason, the Eastern Conference Finals were the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks. In the conference semis last year, in the second round, it was the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. The best basketball isn't always later. We, we had fantastic games throughout that seven-game series of Bucks versus Nets. And, you know, I, I, like we would still be having the great basketball, sure. I'm just arguing that we would, generally speaking, be having less of it. And because, I mean, I loved being able to have a seven-game series between KD and Giannis just last year when both teams were having those good higher seeds. And, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're really not that far off here. We're talking, you know, a two game difference in round two, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that. I just want, you know, for that specific example, I mean, the only reason to win seven is because the Nets all got hurt. So yeah. again, another, not particularly a, you know, common instance, granted injuries happen, but, uh, the only reason that went seven and Brooklyn dominated Milwaukee in the first two games was that guy started to get hurt. So again, um, I, I, I guess it's just the difference. I, I can see why someone would want more great basketball, but I, I just think that it, it's too much right now and lowering that number makes each game more valuable, thus making it more intense without losing all that much really. I mean, in, in the first two rounds. Yeah, that's exactly uh, the conversation I wanted. I loved it. I'm going to side with Tanner, though. I, I think the first two rounds are a little too long. I mean, we've seen teams that are up 3 nothing, and you're like, what's what's the point of playing this last game? We know who's going to win. And I, just, I agree with Tanner. I think just the intensity is that much greater and we get it sooner and it doesn't take away from game seven moments. We just get them in a game five, which I think is uh, better, but the great conversation. That was awesome. That's exactly what I wanted. We're going to hop into some more questions here. Keegan, you actually came up with this one uh, with the Lakers really uh, not living up to the hype with all their, superstars uh what what are some other like big three high expectation teams that just didn't live up to hype like the lakers did this year my own personal opinion and i could be like now i'm gonna take that back i don't think i can be argued differently on this the lakers this year this has been the biggest flop by any super team any great team ever period there are a few teams that can compare and the ones that i think the team that i think compares the most to it is another lakers team and that was back with uh you know shack had left kobe at that point uh kobe and Pau gasol are coming off of you know uh two recent championships and they add uh steve nash and they add dwight howard and this is, you know, this is top of his game, you know, Orlando Magic. Uh, at that point, he was a top five, top 10 player in the NBA coming to join Kobe. And that team made the playoffs, at least. Uh, 
but it's a, it's another situation of a team just not living up to expectations. There are, there are quite a few examples that I could go into, but this is the one just off the top of my head. I mean, the roster just didn't work. At that point in time, we didn't really – the NBA hadn't come to the realization that having two big men like Gasol and Howard, having those two guys on the same team, you know, in the same starting lineup, having those two similar pieces, that didn't work. The NBA hadn't come to that realization yet, and they finished seventh in the West. Uh, you know, they would have definitely made the play-in. <laughs> like that was that's the thing that's so baffling about this Lakers team is sure injuries happen guys missed games for this Lakers team back in um, 2012 2013 Gasol and Nash both missed 30 games apiece similarly to the Lakers with Anthony Davis and LeBron missing minutes uh, missing games but the Lakers this year didn't even make the play in and that 2012-2013 Lakers team was not great with the expectations they had going into it, but it wasn't anywhere near the collapse, the monumental failure that this Lakers team is, was. And I think it's going to be really hard in my mind for anything to come close to it in the future. Boy, coming off of that last debate, I would have loved to come up with something and debate you on this, but you're right. You just can't. It is a flop that we have not seen yet. I guess my kind of one that came to mind as a, a team that kind of flopped, granted, it, it was kind of, it had a, it had a pause in the middle due to the COVID-19 pandemic shutting down play for a little bit but a team that I thought of was the 2019-2020 Houston Rockets um, going into that year Houston had went and traded Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook and keep in mind this was a Rockets team that really felt like I am also one of the people that felt like if Chris Paul stays healthy they they beat the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals and go on to finals so a team that's pretty close to the championship again not healthy the year after that either and then they go out and pick up russ and a lot of people thought myself included again that the rockets got better and that they were a legitimate force in the west they ended up finishing 44 and 28 again a truncated season finishing fourth in the conference again respectable finish however going against the lakers in the conference semifinals they really didn't put up a fight she got gentlemen swept 4-1. Uh, again, like, like I said, the, the, the scenario around the season was certainly different. Might have had something to do with it. But a team that, that wasn't far off from making the finals, they add a big fish that, that a lot of people thought made them better. And they, you know, they only make it to the conference semifinals, get gentlemen swept by the Lakers, weren't really in it, uh, and then moved on from Russ a year later. That marriage in, in Houston didn't really work either. So that Houston Rockets team is one for me that I felt flopped. Yeah, that, that's definitely uh, definitely one that's uh, reasonable for sure. Um, uh, it seems flops uh, follow Russell West. It's interesting. to <laughs> It's top of the backboard. 
And uh, unfortunately, that's where my big three flop goes. <laughs> you know where these. Let's see going. where he goes. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. Where where do I start? Um, obviously, I'm talking about. Honestly, I could go two different sections of threes. Um, but first, obviously, Kevin Durant, Russ, and James Harden, um, three of the best players in the league. I mean, you you can make the argument, which I would make. James Harden would not be the player he is today if he didn't leave. But no, so that's number one. Number two, uh, really disappointing that it did pan out the way the Thunder thought it would. It was Russell Westbrook, <laughs> uh, Paul George. And that one, bro. Carmelo and the, the yeah. second one, I think, is is just it is primed for this question. Because I agree, I agree with that. Because the big, the big three, the one people think about when they think of OKC, did have playoff success. I mean, you can say success, well, even though they got there. Asses kicked by the Heat in the finals, but we don't like bringing that up. The whole league but, got their asses kicked by the Heat. <laughs> but two, not I, even Spurs. Yeah, but I agree. I think uh, Paul George, Carmelo, and Russ, I thought were going to be something special. And uh, what is it? What year was that? 2016, 2017. Did they get so, named all of that year? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 They got names. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. It did not and, work. And a couple of years later, none of them are on the team. So yeah. that is awesome. We did get Shay out of Paul George. So shout out the Clippers for that one. Shout you for Paul the, George. <laughs> I was gonna say. I feel like both sides are a okay yeah, with that I, one. Yeah. <laughs> I say, I, yeah. But that I think uh, Paul George, Russ, and. Definitely top the other one. So, yeah, let me get out of that situation, (laughs) that mindset for a little bit. Um, Before we move on away from it, one that I thought that was going to come up that didn't, uh, the 2013-14 Brooklyn Nets, when they, uh, they traded for Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and they also got Jason Terry. And they traded away picks, to Boston that later became, yeah, they traded away everything, including picks that later became Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So not only did they become a poverty franchise and just was trash for years, this team, uh, the team with, uh, you know, Garnett Pierce and Jason Terry alongside Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez and Deron Williams, that team finished 44 and 38. And uh, barely made it to the second round where they got bounced. Uh, but they also trade away their future, which Boston will be continue to be thanking them for the next, yeah. you know, five to 10 years, maybe even longer. But that, yeah, that's definitely one <laughs> that popped into mind. Yeah. I, th- I think that's that's just a terrible trade to begin with. Like, why yeah. they were, hey, they were trade, shout, shout out Miles here. 
they were certified geezes on yeah. that squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah but... the corpse of Kevin Garnett and uh, Paul Pierce. Yeah, oh, but man. I mean, there there's been a lot of uh, flops when it comes to the big three. I mean, unfortunately, this one happened in Portland. We have Lamarcus Aldridge, Brandon Ooh. Roy, and Greg Oden. They're supposed oh. to be the next big thing. <laughs> and then Brandon Roy and Greg Odin's like just stopped working. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge still balling in the league. Shout out. But yeah. that's another one that popped into my mind. I feel like, I feel like uh, Craig Odin just caught stray. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Greg Odin. Yeah, no kidding. And wrapping up the episode, this one is really relevant. Because of what happened during the Timberwolves yeah. Clippers <laughs> game last night, y'all want to talk? Let let the people know what happened. Oh, this was, I mean, with with a few minutes left in the second quarter, this woman just out of nowhere just runs on the floor and attempts to glue herself to the court oh. right, right under the basket, and she was removed after a short delay. You know the uh, the security just came in, picked her up, and that was about it. This homie pulled up with the Elmers. <laughs> she didn't even bring the freaking super glue or anything. The gorilla glue. Up, Come on. She pulled up with the cow looking white bottle Elmers that they have in kindergarten classes. You gotta be better than that. It was. She apparently did it in protest of animal rights. Um, and uh, in protest of Timberwolves owner Glenn Taylor's egg farm. I mean, is that worth, you know, (laughs) embarrassing yourself on national television? What's more embarrassing? Getting pulled off the floor or getting showed that you brought Elmer's to the thing, man? (laughs) Come on! I mean, kids put that on their hands to take it off for fun! Uh, And that was your... I do. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) That is a prime Friday night right there. But oh, that is so embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, they they made quick work of uh-huh. you. You got pulled off within seconds of trying to trying to glue yourself. I mean, come on, that is embarrassing. It was it, it was just long enough for Patrick Beverly to come over and trash talker for a few seconds. Oh, but it like it was it was, it was so fast. So that leads us to this crazy situation with Elmer's glue protest. <laughs> All this craziness leads to this fantastic question by my brother, Eric Godsey. Shout out you, man. What's the craziest fan interaction in sports? And it can be good or bad. What y'all got? My, my mind, I mean, went right to this. And I, I'm, I'd be surprised if some people out there didn't go right to this. I mean, how can it not be the malice of the palace, right? I mean, the all-out brawl that included fans, that is something that we have never seen before and, frankly, we'll never see again and caused drastic changes to venue security during live sporting events. I mean, and I think what's just so crazy about it is if you actually watch the clip, how it started. I mean, it was a relatively hard, it was on the hard side of a foul. I mean, 
certainly didn't warrant any sort of a, you know, higher designation into any flagrant or technical and certainly didn't warrant a retaliation from, from Ben Wallace, who, who decided to go ahead and push Ron Artest and then all hell broke loose. So not only was it the magnitude of the situation, but how it started from something that today, if that happened, it would, you know, maybe some words and it would just get brushed off pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, we we almost had it with uh, the Wagner Bryant. Yeah, thing. yeah, we almost. <laughs> something tells me Wagner and Bryant don't have the A one security that uh, <laughs> some other sports venues have. But yes, yeah, no so kidding, we got close. Yeah, that is like you, you know took it right from me. You know, that's. Uh, I mean, just you know, t- talking about the worst, you know, sports you know, interactions with fans in sports. That's the top of the list. Uh, some of the other more funny ones that uh, that I've thought that I had to think of because you took my answer uh, was Russell Westbrook being flipped off by a 76ers fan. Like the guy had outstretched double birds and was shouting at him. And Russ just points at him, just, who's this guy? It, it, it became a meme back in 2016. But uh, what Russ has actually got quite a bit of interesting fan interactions because wasn't some popcorn tossed on him like when he got injured one time sam is oh, that, is yeah. that a thing that happened yeah yeah like russ he's he's been the victim of some you know weird fan interactions yeah so i'm gonna go a little different route warning to all the cub fans listening oh, you might want to not listen in the episode right here do not listen it will bring (laughs) up stuff you haven't thought about and of course that is my guy steve bartman (laughs) in october of 2003 in the eighth inning of game six the cubs are up three to nothing in the game against the florida marlin marlins while holding a three game to two series lead Luis Castillo hit a foul ball into left field where Cubs outfield Moises Alu gave chase for the potential second out catch. Several fans tried to reach for the ball and Steve Bartman touched the ball, which disrupted the possible second out. And the Cubs go on to lose the game and lose the series. And this man, I don't know where he is today, but... He has been shit on for years and years. Yeah, he's been in hiding forever. Yeah. yeah, it's like that. Like I mean, both of me and Tanner's situations were made into documentaries. That's how bad yeah. these yeah, were. Yeah, right. Yeah, no kidding. Black. How did I forget right. about that? I mean, that's like if you if you ever take into question how toxic <laughs> fan bases can be, like Steve Bartman having to go into hiding for years. You know, at least the Cubs tried to make it right when they won the World Series recently. They offered him a championship ring, uh, which is kind of funny. But, uh, uh, my goodness. But, I mean, awful. He, he had to be escorted out by security guards under police protection after his name and address were leaked. He was seen as public enemy number one throughout <laughs> Chicago. Yeah. You probably uh, went into the witness protection program. Like, Illinois governor at the time, Rod Blagojevich, 
suggested Bartman go into the witness <laughs> protection program. I and mean, this one had to go into WITSEC because he had to go into WITSEC because the Cubs close the Cubs the Cubs closer. Geez, that's hard to say. The Cubs closer decided to shit his pants. <laughs> I mean, it's a three nothing lead. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. No, that's that's one of the craziest. Certainly, I can't believe uh, I didn't remember that. Yeah. One right. I, mean, I don't know how we did it. For, I, don't I know mean, that is that is good. Be just be. Wow. That's that's good. I like that. So that'll wrap it up for this great episode we provide today. Episode 49 of Crunch Time with the Big Three. Almost 50. One more. Make sure you tune into that. Our boy Tanner Dislin will be hosting that one. But let us know. Let us know what Big Threes then live up to your height. What are some of the craziest fan interactions you've seen? Who you got win the NBA playoffs? Let us know at crunchtime underscore pod on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Let us know. That'll be it for this episode. The clock has now run out on this episode of Crunch Time, and we will see you on the next one.